On Christmas Day 2019, Kevin Bacon's family reported him missing. No, not that Kevin Bacon. Our Kevin Bacon was a 25-year-old hairdresser from Schwartz Creek, Michigan, a Flint suburb about nine miles west of the city. He aspired to become a famous Hollywood stylist, but... His dreams were cut short on Christmas Eve. Police finally found Kevin in the waning hours of December 27th, but the gruesome scene was straight out of a horror movie. I'm Chris, and you're watching True Crime Recaps. Mark Latunsky answered the door for the police shirtless, wearing only a leather kilt. He didn't fight, and he didn't argue. He invited them in and told them to go ahead and take a look around. What they found in a hidden room in his dingy basement will haunt them forever. Kevin hung there naked and strung up by his ankles. His throat was slit, and his blood drained onto a patch of dirt over an open trap door. His testicles were missing, having been removed, fried, and eaten by his captor and murderer, 49-year-old Mark. Kevin was a big dreamer with a big heart. Sadly, bouts with depression, self-harm, and body image issues weighed heavily on his ambitious life. By the fall of 2019, he'd hit his lowest point, but it was only about to get worse because cruel fate and a dating app were about to bring him face-to-face with a cannibal killer. Mark Latunsky was a divorced father of four with a master's degree in chemistry from Iowa State. He once held a cushy six-figure job, but depression, anxiety, and paranoid schizophrenia kept getting in the way. And while diagnosed and treatable, Mark rarely took his medication. In a 2013 divorce filing, his ex-wife talked about Mark's odd ways of coping. When off his meds, he would watch gory horror movies filled with torture, mutter to himself, and often disappear into the night for hours. He'd threatened to get rid of his children's pets, and he refused to shower and shave. One time, he told police that he killed himself with the stroke of a pen while introducing himself as William Gregory Dean. And we can't say if that name holds any significance, but he used it multiple times. Kevin's roommate and best friend, Michelle Myers, told Rolling Stone that Kevin had family issues the day he disappeared. It was Christmas Eve, and he was supposed to meet them for dinner that night, but someone he didn't like was going to be there, and in the end, Kevin decided against going. Instead, he hopped onto Grinder to look for a hookup. We assume he met Mark and left the apartment around 5 p.m. His family grew worried when Kevin missed Christmas breakfast. They called the police and helped scour the small community for three days. Friends drove down from Flint and local news stations covered the search. Kevin wasn't hard to miss either. He was tall, husky, and sported a short purple haircut. Anybody in Schwartz Creek could easily pick him out of a crowded room. But three days passed without a sign. Then they found his car in the family dollar store parking lot, about five miles away from his apartment. Inside were his clothes, keys, and phone. Police found grinder messages between Kevin and Mark while searching his phone. Conversations that included reassurances from Mark that Kevin would be completely safe with him. But lying was the least of Mark's sins. Since he was already in the system, it wasn't hard to track him down. Three days after Kevin disappeared, they showed up at the cannibal's house, an ominous place out in the middle of nowhere, 20 miles from the nearest town. But what happened between 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve when Kevin left the apartment and the late evening of December 27th when police arrived at Mark's home? 
The following is Mark's account of the event given during an interrogation. Mark and Kevin met in the Family Dollar parking lot, where police found Kevin's car. Kevin allegedly described some sexual fantasy he wanted Mark to help him carry out. He stripped naked and put on a blindfold and earmuffs. He allowed Mark to bind him with ankle and wrist restraints before putting him in the back of his van. They drove back to Mark's home where they had, quote, completely consensual sex. Afterward, Kevin mentioned how he'd toyed with the idea of taking his own life in the past, and the two talked about making his body disappear. They came up with a plan to use Kevin's body. Mark said he'd use his bone meal to plant tulips and his intestines to grow peaches and chestnuts. He claims he stabbed Kevin once in the back of the neck, right below the hairline, but the wound didn't kill him, so to end his suffering, Mark slit his throat. By the time the police found him hanging in the basement, Mark was using his blood to fertilize his plants, hence why it was dripping on the patch of soil. He also planned on slicing off his muscles and dehydrating them for jerky. Days after Kevin's death, the U.S. Postal Service intercepted a package en route to Mark's house. A dehydrator. You might be wondering if this was something he'd done before. And as it turned out, it was. Kevin wasn't the first man held captive in Mark's basement. He wasn't the second either. Mark had already done this song and dance, he just had never killed anyone. 48-year-old James Carlson called 911 less than three months earlier, claiming someone kidnapped and held him captive in their basement. In his 911 call, he said he met a cute guy, they talked for a bit, then went out to his car. He remembers drinking a soda, then waking up in the guy's basement. James said he'd been tied up but freed himself with a butcher's knife. He stole Mark's car keys and ran three miles down the road where state troopers found him ten minutes later. Six weeks later, another man who remains unnamed fled Mark's home wearing the leather kilt, the one Mark wore when he answered the door for the police on December 27th. Victim 2 called 911 as he ran, saying he was trying to get away from some creepy guy who had tied him up in the basement. Mark was allegedly hot on his trail, but the man made it safely to a neighbor's house. He pleaded with the neighbor to give him an address he could relay to the authorities. A state trooper arrived, but Mark claimed he was only chasing the man because the kilt was expensive, and he got it back. In 2020, James filed a lawsuit against Mark, telling a more detailed version of his story. He'd apparently taken a bus from New York to Michigan to have sex with Mark, but Mark chained him in the basement when he got there and held him captive. Mark's public defender initially entered an insanity plea on his client's behalf, and although a judge deemed Mark unfit to stand trial, the court overruled the decision. Months after his arrest, guards found Mark passed out in his jail cell during a routine check. Since arriving at the county jail, he'd been refusing to eat and the guards had to use smelling salts to jolt him awake. In October 2022, Mark pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. And thank God for that. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.